0: Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations on the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and Welcome follow BSL tonight. on Twitter. I'm Chris Turner. I'm joined today by my colleagues Raphael Johnson and Jalen Dixon. Going to talk some NBA First, a word from the sponsor, Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. They're a third generation family business established in 1959, located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster. They're the oldest floor covering store in Carroll County and one of Maryland's longest running flooring businesses. For all your flooring needs, think Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. Guys, good to talk to you. We're getting close to the NBA season. I was just saying off air to uh, Raphael. I forgot that it was not a full 82-game uh, slate this year. So 72 games uh, wrapping up. I was wondering why, you know, how they're going to get these other 30 games in. But, you know, my fault. Uh, but getting close, getting closer to playoff time. You can start to feel it. Uh, let's start with the Western Conference. The Lakers are currently the fifth seed. Uh if LeBron and the LeBron are healthy to begin the playoffs, you still like them to win the title? Raphael, we'll start with you.
1: I don't know. Um, I think obviously you have LeBron, who's pretty much a human cheat code, even 18 years into his career. Anthony Davis is an excellent player in his own right. But I look at those pieces around those two, and I got some questions, especially when you look at some of the other teams in the West and what they've done to improve themselves. Andre Drummond, he got hurt in his debut for the Lakers um, with a toe injury. Mark Gasol dropped out of the rotation. Now he's back into it. Obviously, he's frustrated, which you can understand. Then you got Dennis Schroeder, Montrez Harrell, good players, but I don't know if they've got enough around LeBron and Anthony to be Jaylen, considered your clear afraid? favorites right
2: now. Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of a similar take, mainly out of the way they've played as of late. If you notice, really, any of the wins that they've gotten, they've been just beating up on bad teams. That's, that's their way of staying afloat. When you look at some of the guys that they've caught along the way, blowing out the Cavaliers, they barely could hold off against the Magic who literally, like, cleared off their entire team, not even a couple days before the trade deadline. Like, other than that, Most of the teams that they've faced up against that are good or quote-unquote playoff teams have pretty much blown them off the floor. So that kind of just shows you where their supporting cast is. I think the other thing, too, is that a lot of people have been talking about how they are a team that nobody would want to catch in the uh, the playoffs at all. I think if you want to catch them at all in the early rounds, that's when they're most susceptible because... Those guys are coming back from injury. So I think that reacclimation of those two, along with the fact that one Drummond isn't healthy either, and really his fit next to AD is kind of questionable. Then you throw in the supporting cast, not being the most reliable. I think that they're in a pretty rough, like, rough patch right now, where I'm not really sure if you can put them at the top, regardless of LeBron and AD coming back.
0: So right now the uh, Jazz have been consistent all year. they got that balanced lineup currently on top of most sites' power rankings. Uh, what are your thoughts? Can the Jazz uh, beat a healthy Lakers team four times, Jalen?
2: Yes. I think the tricky part is going to be the depth part. I think because – you know, come playoff time, that's when the units get a lot shorter. That's when you go down to only maybe about six, seven guys playing consistently rather than like, you know, the Jazz have been relying on being able to go way deeper into their bench over the course of the year. And they've just been healthy most of this year. So that's helped them out a lot. I think the bigger thing is that because of where the Jazz are positioned, like I mentioned earlier, I think that they're in a a spot where they might be able to catch the Lakers in the first round, potentially with the fact that they continue to kind of slide down, you know, after the all-star break, they were at fourth. Now they're on the verge of being around six, seventh within the next two or three games, depending on the circumstances, especially with the fact that they've got a pretty hard stretch coming up over the next four or five games. So I think the fact that they'll catch them early on in, in this, in the rounds, I think that they're pretty vulnerable and the Jazz are going to be going into the playoffs as one of the hottest teams in the NBA. So I would say that beating them four times is pretty likely. I think it'll have a lot more to do with the guys around Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, though, because that was one of the things that was a bit of an issue in that Denver Nuggets series, was that those two guys showed up, but it seemed like some of the other guys didn't really play up to par until it was a little bit too late.
0: Raphael, how would you see that series if, uh It winds up being
1: Jazz and uh, Lakers. I think the Jazz would win it just because you think about it, like Jalen mentioned with the standings, they'd most likely have home court and they've been nearly unbeatable in Salt Lake city this year. So that's a big thing. I think my concern would be Jordan Clarkson and Bojan Bogdanovic. You know, they've had some bouts with really poor shooting, um, Clarkson is going to be a feels like leather guy, no matter what, like the ball's going up, even if he's not making shots. Um, Bogdanovich has had some issues with confidence earlier this season, coming off that wrist injury. It's understandable because you need your wrist to shoot the ball, obviously, but those two guys are the ones I'd be most concerned with in terms of maybe not getting as far into the playoffs as they, as they can on paper. I think they can get to the conference finals. Um, They get to, like he said, they get the Lakers early. I think that would be a really good fit for Utah in terms of the matchup. So, especially among uh,
0: Western Conference teams, uh, you know, I I feel like the Clippers represents the best chance of maybe taking down the Lakers with Kawhi and George. Uh, Others are high on the Nuggets after Denver obtained Gordon. Others like the Suns, Uh, how do you rank those trio of teams?
1: And I'm kind of torn between the Clippers and Nuggets, to be honest with you. Um, the Clippers, they added DeMarcus Cousins. I don't know how much he's going to help them um, in the postseason, but I think that Rajon Rondo addition is is key because he can get those guys in positions where they need to be at their best in terms of a setup guy offensively, a plus defender as well. They didn't really have that. you know. So it stinks that they had to deal Lou Williams in order to get that taken care of, but you understand why they did it. Uh, As for Denver, Aaron Gordon really fills a void that they didn't address when Jeremy Grant left for Detroit. You get a versatile um, wing defender who can guard threes and fours. I wouldn't trust him against fives, but that two, three, four matchup for Gordon, I think he can be good there. You get an extra facilitator on offense and an elite finisher as well. I think his addition is huge for them. I'd like to see them a few more games against the other teams in the West in terms of the elite teams, but I think either of those teams, the Clippers and the Nuggets, are well-equipped to take down the Lakers. Jalen, Clippers, the uh, in the
0: Nuggets, Suns, how do you uh, rank those three?
1: I mean, when you have to put them in
2: order, it's tricky. But I think in a playoff scenario, I still have to put the Nuggets above the Clippers, not just because of what happened last season, but I think about a, a lot of what's happened lately with that acquisition. They just look like a more athletic team, and I think that's what Jokic needed around him. You know what I mean? Murray has always been a shooter but a facilitator as well. Michael Porter Jr. is a guy who's hitting shots now, which was one of his biggest gripes towards the back end of the season was, remember during some of those playoff series, it was his focus was on the fact that um, maybe they were only running the offense through two guys. He's starting to make more of a name for himself in earning those buckets. Same thing with Aaron Gordon. He's a guy who – Everybody has kind of thrown this scenario out of what could Aaron Gordon look like as a third or fourth option on a team because he legitimately kind of is a guy that has a lot of Swiss Army knife like qualities, but isn't really hasn't really been able to show that off because he's always had to take a lead role or at least a secondary role back in Orlando. So I think with the way they're set up, you have to remember, especially if we're talking about in comparison to like maybe a team like the Lakers who everybody thinks they might have to run through. Everybody has to remember Montrezl Harrell was barbecue chicken against Nikola Jokic last year. Now I know he's with the Clippers, <laughs> but that doesn't make that doesn't make the Lakers any more safe. So I think that's one of those things to keep in mind when you're talking about the matchups. Um, then when you get over to the Clippers, I think the biggest thing with them, right, is the perimeter play for them is really good, but kind of similar to the Nets, we've barely seen them together fully healthy. And now you've thrown Rajon Rondo into this mix. So I think the biggest thing is seeing more play from them before you can just go ahead and say you trust them. Because that was one of their biggest things that they talked about during the Boba last year, continuity, continuity, continuity. They preached on how it was something they were missing. Although there's not as many DMPs for, you know, load management and stuff this season, there's still a lot of missing action amongst the group as a whole And that's been one of those things that kind of makes it hard to gauge this team, despite the fact that they've been floating around third, fourth in the West the whole time. And then Phoenix, I love them as a team. Ironically enough, they're like built the way any NBA team would like to be set up nowadays with multiple 3 and D wings, a legit point guard, a legit guy that you can lean on to go get a bucket in Devin Booker. They're just extremely young and haven't been in that spot yet, so I can't really you know, thrust them above some of these other teams that have legit playoff experience. When some of your best players, Mikhail Bridges, younger, hasn't even seen a playoff series. Devin Booker's been in the league for a couple of years and hasn't even sniffed the playoffs. Chris Paul's probably the only person who has any real playoff success on this team. And we know that he has a tendency to get hurt in big in big moments. I don't think that's going to be the case. I hope that it's not the case. But, that's still something that to take into consideration considering his track record. So Phoenix is just a, a puppy in this situation, so it's hard to really put them above some of those other teams without, you know, seeing a series or two.
0: Let's look uh, at the sixth and seventh teams in the conference, Portland and Dallas, both led by a superstar. If you were going to bet on one of those squads winning multiple playoff series, who would you favor, Jalen?
2: Oof. Man, that's tough. I got to go with Portland, though, because this, that's that's a big shot situation. I think a lot of those series are going to come down to final possessions just because of the fact that with Portland, they're not deep, but they can score with anybody regardless of the circumstances. Um, as opposed to Luka Doncic and Dallas, their biggest thing is you wonder who's next. After Luca, you typically write the first thing that comes to mind is Kristaps, but Kristaps has been extremely inconsistent throughout the year. So then it gets tricky as to who the next person is with Portland. You could go CJ Norman Powell has been introduced to this team after the trade deadline. Um, Carmelo Anthony was a guy who earlier on was helping close games for them. Um, Enos Cantor, who – welcome back to Portland. Enos Cantor has, you know, had a pretty good run over the last couple of months in particular. They just have a lot more offensive creation. And so with that, if you're you're Portland, your goal is to play everybody to 130 every night. And I think that the funny thing about it is they have the capability of doing that. So I think they're just well-equipped for the playoffs if you need to step in a shootout versus Dallas. I think that once you get past Luka – it gets really tricky and they don't have the same kind of shooting from guys like Seth Curry and things like that that they had last year.
0: Do you see that uh similar, Raphael? Yeah.
1: yeah Point too. blank, I'm not betting against Dan. <laughs> it's really that simple. Like, you know, that they that my biggest concern with Portland would be the injuries. Um, you know, Nurkic and McCollum missed significant stretches of time earlier the season. Nurkic is injured again. Um, because Nurkic, as good as he is as a rebounder and, and kind of a, a, a low-post scorer for them at times, he's also critical defensively because as we've seen with Ennis Cantor in the past, he's, he's pretty much been food on defense when it comes to pick-and-roll situations. So they really need a healthy Nurkic in order to have a chance to win a couple rounds in a series, but you get in a tight game and the ball is in Damian Lillard's hands He's most likely going to come through. So that's the reason why I would go with Portland over Dallas. I love Luka, but at this point I would take Dame over uh, The
0: Brooklyn experiment has gone better than maybe I anticipated. Uh, They've added recent reinforcements. Uh, Will you be surprised if they don't win the East? And does it concern you that the big three have only – they've played less than 10 games together, Raphael?
1: I wouldn't be surprised just because I think Philadelphia and Milwaukee are two really good teams as well. That being said, Brooklyn would be my favorite. Um the continuity issue that you bring up is a concern. Um James Harden's out again with hamstring. Kevin Durant, is supposed to be coming back Wednesday night. Um you've got Kyrie who's been relatively healthy. But the upgrades they made in the in the paint. Um, LaMarcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin can be kind of a small ball five at times. We need to do that based on a the matchup. They can play him at the four as well, obviously. And Nicholas Claxon has come along as well. So you've got those three guys you can call upon. I think that's big because after that the Harden trade, they sent Jared Allen to Cleveland. They really didn't have anything. You know, all due respect to De- DeAndre Jordan, he wasn't going to cut it, and I think the front office realized that with those moves. And now he's pretty much out of the rotation. So. I think the additions that they made after the trade deadline in terms of the buyout market will probably be the reasons why they win the East so long as their big three remain healthy because those guys are all on the court. I don't think there's another trio in the NBA that can stop them. Um, But if you you lose one, you're going to need someone else to step up. And with the additions of Aldridge and Griffin – that's really helped kind of address that. that issue for them. I
2: mean, my biggest thing for them is that they can be had, and the main reason why is because defensively they've been one of the bottom half teams all year, if not like in the bottom five. And really, the thing is, I love the additions that they made at the deadline in terms of the buyout market, but at the same time, they didn't add any interior defense. And unfortunately, no matter what, that Jared Allen trade is still going to haunt them in that respect because they keep trying to rotate guys with names at the position. But at the end of the day, they're not impact guys on the side that they need to address the most. LMA is still a guy who plays within 15 feet, but don't get me wrong. He's going to get you a bucket He just is kind of a turnstile down low. In terms of Blake Griffin, he's not a guy that I feel like you're going to be able to move easily. And I think he's going to compete on defense, which might actually show up pretty big for them. But we're not going to call Blake Griffin a, you know, above average rim defender at all. And then when you get down to guys like DeAndre Jordan, obviously, they've been trying to fizzle him out of the lineup slowly for the last couple of weeks. Starting with the fact that Nicholas Claxton was getting so much time and I think that them getting LaMarcus Aldridge actually might even affect that time a little bit which could hurt them to a certain respect I think with the fact that the big three hasn't played a lot there's a part of me that kind of just doesn't put a whole lot of weight into that because at the end of the day they all do something different that allows them to coexist on the floor and we have seen little spurts of that Uh, If you guys remember earlier in the year, the discussions in relation to this team had more to do with how would Kyrie Irving and James Harden mesh, not how Kevin Durant, along with these two guys, would mesh. And we've seen Kyrie and James Harden on the floor next to each other, and it seemed to be as as easy of a transition as it it could be. Now I'll say this: in terms of them being had, there's three teams that they do not want to see: the 76ers, the Bucks, and the Heat. Why? Because when I talk about the whole interior defense thing. I don't think anybody with a bad interior defense does not want to see Joel Embiid, Giannis Antetokounmpo, or Bam Adebayo with the way he's been playing this year. So I think with those with those things factored in, like the Nets, the Nets have to be careful because they have, you know, three of the best, you know, scores in NBA history. But at the same time, you know, it's been a long time since we saw a team that didn't have at least a top 10, top 15 defense also win the championship we having such an elite offense, so that's what makes it tricky for them.
0: Uh, I'm still looking to see what happens when it's uh, late in a series, crunch baskets needed. Mm-hmm. You've got the three of them on the court together. Who haven't played <laughs> together a whole lot. You've got two ball-dominant guards, <laughs> and uh, who has the ball? And are they willing to move, uh, or, or uh, does the offense kind of stagnate with – people sticking around, but maybe that's just me, but that's kind of my Kyrie Irving uh, bias. Sticking, to I, I said, uh, Recognize that he's uh, an extreme offensive one-on-one talent, but uh, who's the bigger threat to the Nets? You, know, you mentioned, uh, you know, the three teams. We'll, we'll look at each of them, but Milwaukee to the 76ers, Jalen, who, who do you think is the bigger threat?
2: I think it's Milwaukee. I think the biggest thing with them is the versatility that they have at the wing spot is like, Pretty legitimate, you know what I mean? Just locked up Drew Holiday long-term, and I'm sure he's at this point he's playing warehouse money with that extension, with the way that whole thing is looking. And then you throw on top of that Chris Middleton, who, I mean, you know, arguably was an all-star this season. Um, I know that the votes didn't add up that way, but, you know, Chris Middleton's a very vanilla player. The 50-40-90 guys don't really get as much love unless it's, you know, some kind of historic numbers being attached to it. But I think those those two guys primarily on the wings can create their own shot. And with Drew Holiday in particular, he's just a significant offensive upgrade, especially in the half court, to a guy like Eric Bledsoe, who they moved to get him. So I think that's one of the biggest things they missed. I think one of the bigger things that's going to be important if Milwaukee goes up against any of these powerhouse East teams is the fact that Giannis has slowly started to increase his free throw percentage. That's been one of those things that's been kind of like, a big gripe for him because we know that the three we know the three ball is one of those things where it's like if Giannis gets the three ball down he's a cheat code and everybody knows that but it's some of those little individual things like being able to close games where the difference between Giannis going 11 of 13 or 9 of 14 that is a difference in being able to win a game and we know that you know Accumulating game, uh, game victories is your way to winning a series. So if you're blowing games with at the free throw line, there's gonna be a lot of looking back and what it should have could is when the reality is that he's he's a guy who creates a lot of contact. He creates a lot of opportunities to get to the line, just finish, finish through. And that was one of his biggest things the last two seasons that he slowly has been working on and is finally kind of starting to meet that apex a little bit. So I think the Bucs, with everything that they have perimeter-wise and then Giannis improving at the line, the fact that they've been experimenting on defense all year, something that I think is a good sign as well. The Bucks just seem kind of primed for it, and they throw a lot of money at guys, so I think that's a little bit of motivation too.
0: Raphael, do you see that uh, similarly? Do you like Milwaukee better than uh, Philly as the, uh, as the bigger threat to the Nets?
1: Now, I'm actually going to take Philly because Jalen mentioned uh, Brooklyn's issue in terms of defending elite interior players. And Philadelphia's got one of the best in Joe Allen beat. Obviously, there's the the qualifier of can he stay healthy. Um, I'm going to assume that he will be healthy for the postseason. You know, but as we saw last night against Boston, the guy is nearly unstoppable. Now, Boston's not the greatest example because – They've got their own question marks in the middle. But when you can play off of a guy like him, that opens things up for everyone else. And they, they've got some more shooters to put around him, whether we talk about Danny Green or Seth Curry. Obviously, Ben Simmons, he's not a perimeter shooter, but he can do just about everything else offensively. And he's pro- I think he's the best defender in the NBA in terms of a guy who can guard every position on the court. I'd take Ben Simmons over anyone else in that regard you know, the the question I have would be that bench. Um, Do they have enough off the bench to save you from some of those second, third quarter lulls that can get you in trouble in the playoff series? That could very well be the difference between going up maybe 3-1 or ending up in a 2-2 dogfight if your bench doesn't show up in like a game four situation. So that would be my biggest concern about Philadelphia. But if we're talking about knocking off Brooklyn, I, I think with Joel Embiid in the middle, I think that would be a yeah, tough matchup for Brooklyn. Uh, Green
0: Curry and uh, Harris to knock down their share of shots. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just yeah. with uh, Embiid, I mean, a great year for him. But as you alluded to, can he stay on the court? I mean, can he stay on the court for, uh, you know, every round? Uh, but uh, two interesting teams there. Uh, the fourth team in the conference. Last year's Eastern Conference champion uh, Miami, uh, at least going into the last night, they had won four in a row. Oladipo has given them some extra firepower. Uh, would you be surprised if they won multiple series, Rafael?
1: I would not, just because as we saw in the bubble, I don't know what they <laughs> feed guys or putting their drinks down in Miami, but those dudes are just cut from a different cloth mentally. You know that. Yeah, I think sometimes the word culture can be a bit contrived and overused, but it clearly applies when it comes to the heat. You got Jimmy Butler, um, Bam Adebayo. Those guys are just absolute dogs. Man. You add Victor to the mix, I definitely think that he can help them out, and there's the added motivation of being in a contract year. Obviously, the man wants to get paid, so you know, he's going to want to be at his best. Um, I don't know if we're going to see the same Tyler Hero that we saw in the bubble, because he's not a mystery anymore. Obviously, being a first-round pick, you're not really a mystery to begin with, but when it comes to playoff time, he had not proven anything yet, so I think he'll be accounted for more. Um, getting Goran Dragic healthy and keeping him on the court will be key. I like the Trevor Ariza addition, too. Um, he's not a, a flashy addition for that team by any stretch, but He's another versatile defender. They got him starting at the four right now, but he can guard threes and fours if need be. So I would not be surprised if they were to pull off an upset in the second round. Um, but I don't, I we will see. I, I think Miami, you know, to answer your question, I would not be surprised, but that bench, especially, you know, if it's Tyler hero coming off the bench could be good with Dragic as well. But, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what they do in the middle, um, because after out of bio, they really don't have a whole lot there right now. Yeah, I mean, I think that last point is probably the most important one, right?
2: The fact that interior-wise, like after Bam comes off the court, I mean, they they went for Bialica from uh, I think it was Sacramento beforehand, um, kind of a, to address yeah. things in terms of that that trade that they made to get Victor Oladipo where they sent out Kelly Olenek, which is one of those things where from a stretch four slash small ball five kind of situation, you kind of needed to recoup some of that back. Otherwise, it's going to be extremely thin. And Bielitsa gives them kind of a lot of the same things that Kelly Olynyk gave them maybe just not as a uh, grittier which is kind of an interesting thing to relate with a Gonzaga player typically because they just you know play with a lot more finesse coming out of the um, college and that's kind of been a lot of what typically those guys are but he plays with a lot more kind of heat grit so Bielito is not going to be that but he provides a lot of the skill set that Kelly Olenek had. I think the big thing, too, is like, look, I think from Victor Oladipo's standpoint, I, I hope that they can upset somebody. Because um, Raphael mentioned, mentioned it before, in a contract season, but also an audition, right? Because he's been trying to get to Miami for years cool. in terms of how it's been rumored. You know all the random snapshots of him talking to Bam Adebayo after Heat games and different things like that, all things associated with the idea that at some point, whether it was through free agency or via requesting a trade, that he was going to try to get himself there. Victor, you're here now, and you have to remind yourself also that you're in a little bit of a a quandary yourself because this was a team that was also looking at Kyle Lowry at the deadline as well. Right. And he's going to be a guy that's going to be off the books next season as well. With the fact that the Raptors brought him back and haven't extended him yet, it leaves those little things to float out there in the universe where you know that you could be playing for your spot on this team. And they have a lot of cap space to make it work if you want to be around. I just think overall, I think Raphael said it best. Tyler Hero is not going to be a guy who's going to be able to sneak up on teams anymore. And I think that'll be interesting to see how he translates. But the rest of this team is just put together in a way that's like, I think you'd be doing them a disservice to kind of think that any series they go to is not going to at least six. And I think that's one of those things where if you know they're as talented as that, they're going to always be within striking distance of being able to move on throughout the rounds. And that, that pencils them somewhere close to at least the end of the second round, hopefully.
0: All right, good stuff. We're going to go rapid fire for your last few questions. Just quickly, what's holding Boston back from being better? They've got probably two of the top ten players in the East and another third all-star. Jalen, what are they directly missing?
2: Center play, super bad. I mean, it's one of those things where Robert Williams should have been getting more playing time a long time ago. Tristan Thompson, cut his minutes, (laughs) get Robert Williams on the floor more. I think it's that simple.
0: Raf, same thing there.
1: Um, yeah, consistency too, especially on the wings. Um, I think they're a little bit too much too reliant on isolation ball at times, and that's gotten them in trouble, especially against a better team
0: than he has. Under contract. I know they're not the funder, but I believe they had more picks than, <laughs> uh, uh, than they've utilized. It might be time to cash in and actually uh, put, put some other, uh, something around them, uh, and, and try and you know, make a run. All right, uh. NBA's utilizing a play-in tournament this year. Kind of remind us how that's going to work and give us your thoughts on that, Raphael. All
1: right. Well, seeds seven through 10 will play in their own mini tournament, um, seven versus 10, eight versus nine. And then those two teams, those two winners will go in to the main playoff bracket. So two seed will get the winner of the seven versus 10. Once you get the winner of eight versus nine. So, I like it, um, obviously, to carry over from what we saw in the bubble. It kind of You give more teams an opportunity, and by extension, their fan base is an opportunity to kind of feel like they've got a shot to get into the playoffs. And I think that's good, because changing the draft lottery odds alone wasn't going to be enough in terms of combating this, this aspect of tanking. So I think it's a really so good move on the NBA. I tend to agree here. with
0: you, uh, Raphael, on that, but... Uh, Jalen, if you want to play devil's advocate or or you can give your own thoughts, but I'll just say you look at the Eastern Conference and it's a mess after, uh, you know, after Boston, particularly the idea of those teams actually getting a playoff spot is uh, eh, that's kind of sketch. But what are your thoughts there?
2: Yeah, I think that's the funny part about it. I actually wanted to kind of play devil's advocate from a traditional standpoint because I feel like one of the biggest things for it, right, is I know that, the regular season is uh, one of those things that is slowly becoming undervalued. I think it's starting to actually get a little worse when you know that no matter what, you can be a double-digit seed and still have a potential contention. I have kept hearing a lot of uh, podcasters the other day when I was listening to a lot of NBA coverage saying, uh, joking about how if the Lakers drop to as far as 10th, that LeBron could build up his legacy by being the first, first ever 10th seed to make the NBA finals. I mean, it's just one of those things that just sounds so hilarious when said out loud, but you have to understand that the way the NBA is trying to do this is to create an overall um, top to bottom competitive league that makes it worth playing hard through all, I guess in this case, 72 games, but typically 82. And I think that's indicative of certain things like the Eastern conference, right? Towards the bottom, you look at their circumstance between literally 7 and 10 I mean even 7 and 11 down to the Raptors I mean Knicks 25 and 26 below 500 uh Celtics same exact record Pacers 22 and 27 at the night spot Bulls at 21 and 28 Raptors 20 and 31 that's one of those situations where they're a little spread out and I think that if you try to pull those teams out I feel like you just know who's better But I think that the playing playing game gives you a chance to see that on on the surface. Now the Western Conference is almost where it seems like the play in was almost targeted for, right? Like this is one of those things where they were like, "Hey, there's a lot of West teams that if they were in the Eastern Conference, they would probably make the playoffs, right?" So let's give them a shot. So when you look at the Grizzlies, twenty five and twenty three, Spurs, twenty four and twenty four, Warriors, twenty four and twenty seven. That's close enough to the point where maybe you should see if these guys can fight it out and figure it out for themselves. So I think that's why they made it. I think that's why they put it together. Um, I'm not opposed to it. I do find it really interesting how they've gone about it. You know, the whole three game tourney thing. Uh, they're almost trying to sprinkle some March Madness in there with the whole winner go home scenario. But, um, it does kind of make you question whether, I mean, the eight seed was always one of those things that was projected as an easy out for the 1C typically. I do wonder if that maybe changes the perception of that depending on what teams, you know, get in.
0: Jalen, I'm sure you made a lot of good points there. Frankly, I was just kind of uh, out of it after the idea of LeBron's legacy
2: possibly getting. <laughs>
0: Uh, it wasn't fact, me fact, I, you know, I, I'm just fixated on that But <laughs> just going to jump right past that We'll uh, look at the uh, ESPN gave their listing Of the uh, NBA players Under 25, the most future potential yeah, Interesting list, i was curious Which guys, any selections or order That you particularly disagreed with, Jill
2: Man, talk about projection LaMelo Ball at 3 is That is, man they, they are really projecting. We're talking about Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, both all-star players. Ben Simmons, Devin Booker. I mean, those are all guys that are behind a guy who didn't even play the entire season. Um, Now, don't get it twisted. I think he had a lot to do with the fact that Charlotte is in playoff contention right now. And um, unfortunately, they lost Gordon Hayward, and he's going to be out for a couple weeks as well. So, we'll see how long they can hold that up. But, I mean, the projection, is it, it must be through the roof because I don't think that you can put him above some of these other guys already considering their establishment in the league. Even guys like Devin Booker, who, I mean, like I understand from a playoff standpoint, he hasn't done very much. But LaMelo Ball, like he's a guy who we haven't gotten a lot of tape of. It was just like how people were chopping at the bit at Zion Williamson for the back half of the year. But it's like, hey, guys, did you remember that whole beginning half of the season where we didn't see him and everybody was talking about him being injury-prone? Yeah, LaMelo Ball is kind of like in a similar boat, but in reverse. He started off the season really hot, but people have to remember that LaMelo Ball left the NBL early due to injury. Now he hasn't been able to finish the season due to injury, like there's a lot of projection there with LaMelo and I think that he's a great player, but it's a little early to be pulling the trigger on some of these guys. uh, Fantastic
0: facilitator. Definitely uh, kind of a question. I, I, I'll defer to you guys what he's like defensively at this point, but, uh, uh, and the rest of his game, but yeah, him and Booker kind of stood out to me, but I, you know, I read their comment on Booker about you know he's one dimensional. Well, his one dimensional is that he's one of the premier scorers uh, in the league, and, <laughs> and that jump shot isn't leaving anytime soon. So, you know, that's my thought. Uh, what about you, Raphael, Who stood out there?
1: I just think, a lot of those lists Agreed. are recency really biased. Um, you know, in terms of it's what what have you done for me lately? Um, I just found it funny how far they had Trey Young down the list. You know, obviously there are some questions in terms of defensively, but defensively, I think he's a an excellent player. Um I thought he was a little low, but I tend to not put too much stock it in just the it's, type. It's of out, plays, out, you know?
0: it they're hard they're
1: hard to do. Yeah, exactly. You get eyeballs, but they're really hard to do. I think anyone who's ever ranked anyone or anything can tell you that You'll put together a ranking. Then at some point you may flash back and say, "Oh, I forgot this person or I forgot this team." But hopefully you catch that before you actually publish the thing. You know, so who's your coach? <laughs> that's What are you really going to say about that? I would go with Monty Williams. I think you know. I know Chris Paul has gotten a lot of credit for what he's the change agent that he's been in Phoenix, but Monty Williams has that team one game out of the top spot in the West. And that's with an inconsistent Deandre. Ayton. You still really don't know what you're going to get from him on a nightly basis where you almost have to, like if he doesn't touch the ball early, you might have to write him off for that night. Um, it's kind of weird when you're talking about a guy who's been in the league for a couple of years to be that type of player still, but You look at what Phoenix has done. I think Monty Williams would be my top choice. Quinn Snyder deserves a lot of credit in Utah as well. I
2: mean, I have to go with Monty as well. No offense to Quinn Snyder, but I think Terry Stotts is second for me, though. And I think it's just out of the mere fact that, like, yes, you have an MVP caliber player in Damian Lillard, but they've been playing with a lot of rotational guys who typically would not see a lot of minutes for this team due to all the injuries that they've had. Uh, Raphael obviously mentioned – Um, a lot of the things that take place throughout the year in terms of trying to build a team through injuries. And this is probably one of the most, you know, injury-rattled teams in the league between, you know, McCollum and Yusuf Nurkis missing time early on. Zach Collins is a guy that I don't think they're going to get at all this year. Um, I think that the mere fact that they've been able to hang – Pretty much within the mix this entire season, even with all those things going on. Mind you, this is the second year in a row that they've had to deal with this, this volume of injury concern. I think that's one of those things that has to be kind of commended. I think the biggest thing with Monty Williams is he built upon that eight-game stretch, right? That that stuff that took place in the whole uh, I guess the little play-in situation that they had going on in the bubble early on before the playoffs started. That eight and no stretch was something where People kind of came into this season saying, like, is that sustainable? Is that really them? Is that them just kind of showing out in the bubble? Like, what is it? But they've been able to translate that game over, and I think, you know, Chris Paul's addition is huge, but he had that team coming out to play towards the back end of that season. He had them coming out to play for most of last year. I think it's just now all finally clicking, and now we're seeing what they can do when everybody is healthy and playing at a high level, so – I think Monty is just, man, raised this entire franchise up. Last two
0: questions, and then we'll do this again uh, uh, in the playoffs. Klay Thompson, he's back next year. I'd say he's 90% of what he was. What are the Warriors at that point, Jim?
2: They are a team that still needs something else, and I, I hate to say that because of the fact that it seems like when you put three all-star caliber guys, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Klay Thompson next to each other, You think that's that's an automatic playoff team just on paper. But you have to realize that the Golden State Warriors, one of their biggest things that made them, quote unquote, dynastic was how interestingly versatile their benches used to be. Andre Iguodala, Sean Livingston, uh, Leandro Barbosa, like they used to get legitimate minutes from their bench. Now they got like they've got about the 10th man on most rosters playing like serious rotational minutes for them. Guys like Jordan Poole, Nico Mannion are having to develop a lot quicker. Um I mean, James Wiseman is a guy who has been underwhelming to say the least. Um especially being taken second overall, I I think especially I think Clay is going to be a guy who's not going to be a hide Steph defensively the same way he's been able to do in years past coming off of these double injuries like that and I think that's going to hurt them I think they're I think they're still a piece away which is tough because I don't really know how much flexibility they have besides the fact that they can dangle Andrew Wiggins in that Timberwolves pick because other I'll than the, that, the really point about bench.
0: the uh the bench and I'm probably a little bit higher on, on Wiseman, but he just, I mean, he didn't get any time in Memphis before he, his season was done there. And and he's young. We'll see how much he can grow. And, obviously, uh, the league isn't all about uh, centers at this point either. So, uh, But um, I think the bigger point, and Raphael, I'll get your, your thoughts, uh, is, is green, right? So, I mean, he was kind of that he had some offensive ability at some point, at least was stepping out and knocking down some shots. And that's really consistently gone down. And I know he's proclaimed himself the best defender of this generation or maybe ever, but you know, I'm showing my age while I'm like rolling my eyes a little bit there, but uh, uh, you know, certainly believe, believed in his abilities, but interesting team, but it kind of, Kind of agreeing with Jalen that they're going to need a little bit uh, something else. So, you know, I don't know if Wiggins, because is that guy? You know, if he's slotted down another spot when you have have Thompson back, uh, if they can be enough. You know, what's your take there, Raphael?
1: I think they'll end up being more of a middle of the pack Western Conference team. To be honest with you, um, Wiseman, I don't really think they fully understood how to go about using him until recently. Um, because that was a system that has been largely been based on motion offense. You know, five guys kind of moving around that fit that center really isn't a valued part of their system. You know, because obviously you have Kevon Looney in the middle before him, guys like Festus Azili. Those guys aren't going to go out and get you 15, 20 a night. I think Wiseman has that potential, but they really weren't using him much in pick and roll situations. And I think he kind of got lost in the shuffle. With that recently, they picked that up. I think he's been a little bit better recently. Um, But, you know, as we've seen in other sports, maybe the immediate year after a championship, it's been a bit more drawn out with the Warriors. Eventually, you just run out of money. You know, there's only so much money you can pay guys. Eventually, some of those players who are reserves either have to move on to save yourself some extra cap space. Or they just want to get paid more, which is perfectly within their rights. You only have a certain amount of time to get your money, so obviously, you can go somewhere and get a little bit more and have a, an expanded role. You're probably going to want to do that. So I think the finances of it make it really hard for any team to be a dynasty. Um, so obviously, the Warriors had their run. I think they won three titles in four years. That's nothing to scoff at, but. Eventually, you don't have to tear it down completely, but eventually, you're going to have to make some major, you know, I guess you'd say uh, alterations yeah, to your rotations. Yeah, and to Jalen's uh, like, you know, Livingston
0: too. and an AI—they don't grow on trees. Where you have those uh, veterans willing to defer and able to yeah. play multiple uh, positions, and and uh, you know, really adding to the depth of the rotation overall. Lastly, guys, who's going to win the MVP? And I guess I'm asking who's going to win, but also who your respective uh, choice would be. And uh, uh, Raphael, you can start there.
1: I'm taking Jokic. Um, The guy's been outstanding in the middle, Um, averaging close to a triple-double, if I'm not mistaken. The job that he's done in the middle – of that offense, you know, as a scorer, as a distributor, rebounds the ball well. I would go with him. I think Damian Lillard would be a close second to me. For me, just as Jalen mentioned earlier, that team's been hit hard by injuries, and yet they've stayed afloat. Obviously, Terry Stotts has been a big reason for that, but so has Damian Lillard. So those two would be my top two choices. I can see James Harden being in the mix as well, but I got to go with either Jokic or Lillard. Uh, Jalen Harden being plays the himself for right
0: the now. MVP, but he's now on the shelf. Uh, uh, are you going with uh, Jokic or uh, somebody else here?
2: Yeah, I got to go with the Joker on this one. Harden has a little bit of a late season push that kind of helps with his case. But I think, you know, one of the bigger things is going to be his earlier stint with Houston. That's going to have a lot of voters kind of, you know, on the fence. Uh, I mean, like Raphael said, I mean, the dude's averaging 26 10 and 8 or basically 26, 11 and 9. Like, I mean, Jokic has been snapping. I'll give you the two stats that kind of mean the most, though. Career high, 42.7% from three and played 50 of 50 games. (laughs) So, I mean, those are the two things that I think are the most important, mainly the games played part because in a season ravaged with injuries, we've seen LeBron, his case has been hurt by injury. Joel Embiid, his case hurt by injury. James Harden now in this circumstance, I think one of the biggest things is the fact that he's been on the floor. Now, it's going to be interesting with him being in that position because it's very Russell Westbrook-esque in terms of what we're talking about, right? Near Averaging near triple-double, his team is not one of the best teams in the West. It's 4-5, which is kind of around the area that, you know, Russ's Thunder team was in that mm-hmm. circumstance. It's kind of more so more so him doing something historically impossible, which is... In Jokic's case, not only being this dominant at the center position from like a a regular counting stats uh, standpoint, but like if you you go check the stats, he's one of the the best clutch time players in the league, which I think has been really interesting considering the circumstances, especially because, you know, Dame time is the one that everybody associates it with, but Jokic's right there. So I think Nikola Jokic is right there. I would have to put Damian Lillard right behind him as well because he's been carrying that squad.
0: Love the point on availability. I just, it's really one of the things that uh, gets overlooked sometimes, but it's in all sports. It's just uh, such a difference. You can have all the talent in the world, but if you can't show up, then uh, people can't rely on you. So <laughs> uh, that's bottom line. Uh, where can people find you on Twitter, Jalen?
2: Uh, at Jalen's World, J A L O N S W O R L D.
0: And Raphael, about yourself.
1: At Raphael J, R-A-P-H-I-E-L-L-E. Well, good stuff, you guys and a J.
0: Thanks for uh, joining. Uh, appreciate everything you guys uh, add to the site. Uh, we'll get uh, this up, and people can follow you on Twitter. Check out the next articles here and elsewhere. Uh, so my thanks. Check us out, BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. Come and uh, join the discussions at the board, MBA, and otherwise. Our thanks, and take care.